Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. By far my youngest guest in the seven years I've hosted The Politics of Everything, Max Mason is only starting his career, but it's definitely worth chatting to. Also a former New South Wales Central Coast resident, Max is a 16-year-old rising star in the world of motor racing. Born in Sydney, Max has always been fascinated by speed and cars. His interest in motor racing began at an early age when he started watching Formula One races. Max came to the sport relatively late, only taking up karting when he was 14 years old, and he immediately fell in love with the sport. He quickly proved to be a natural driver with exceptional hand-eye coordination, quick reflexes and a fearless attitude behind the wheel. Max's talent caught the attention of his coaches who recommended that he pursue a career in professional motor racing. Max has worked tirelessly on his skills, spending hours practicing on the track and studying the strategies of the world's greatest drivers. He competed in various local karting competitions and won several of them and gradually built a name for himself in the racing community. Then in 2022, Max entered the Formula Ford New South Wales Championship one of Australia's most prestigious racing events. Despite being a rookie, Max quickly proved himself to be a formidable opponent, winning races and setting new lap records. Max's impressive performance was rewarded with the Rookie of the Year Award, a recognition of his exceptional talent and hard work. Max's success there opened doors for him and he was soon offered a spot in the Euro NASCAR Series, a European-based competition in which drivers race in American-style stock cars. Max eagerly accepted the offer, seeing this as an opportunity to hone his skills and gain more experience on the international stage. He moved to Europe with his family, settling in the UK, where he's trained with some of the continent's top coaches and drivers. Max successfully tested GP3 with Arden Sport and achieved the fastest lap time records across that particular weekend, showcasing how adept Max is jumping between Formula and stock cars. His ultimate goal is to make it to the Formula One, the pinnacle of motor racing, and he knows that will require years of hard work, dedication and persistence, but he's up for the challenge. Whether he's racing on a dusty track in Australia or a shiny F1 grade track in Europe, Max is always pushing himself to be better, faster and stronger. And with his talent, ambition and sheer grit, there's no doubt that Max Mason is destined for greatness in the world of motor racing. And he's also a fellow podcaster, so that's pretty fun too. So welcome to the politics of everything, Max, and we're here to chat about racing, of course. Yep, thank you for having me. It's, it's a pleasure. It's, it's super awesome to be here. Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but it doesn't have to be. Since 2017, I have relied on Zencaster's all-in-one web-based solution to make the process quick and painless, the way podcasting should be. If you know me, I'm pretty obsessed with quality guests, quality content, and quality sound, and that's what Zencaster allows me to do. Not to mention, it's really easy to use, even for my guests that aren't particularly tech-savvy. There's nothing to download, they just click on the link and we start recording. Zencaster is all about making your podcasting experience easy and with everything from local recording to automatic post-production all in the one tool, you don't have to leave your browser to get each episode done. I want you to have the same great experience that I do for all my podcasts and content needs. So I have a special offer for you. If you go to zen.ai forward slash politics of everything and enter this promo code, you'll get 30% off in your first three months when you sign up to Zencaster Pro. That's Z. E-N dot A-I, politics of everything. 
It's now time to share your story. And now you're in Portugal. So I've mentioned you've been in the UK for a bit. So settling into Portugal and I imagine that that must be a bit fun as well as well as the racing stuff. Yeah, I mean, we're, it, Portugal is massive with motor racing. They've got one of the top tracks, which is just a 20-minute drive uh, from from the house and obviously nicer weather to a bit more similar to Australia. And, and that's, yeah, it's very nice. Excellent. So I actually have to ditch my first question, which I've had every episode. So this is episode 177, because I always ask my guests, do they recall what they wanted to do when they grew up and how did their early career take place? But of course, yours is just beginning. So maybe we can start with asking, why do you really want to pursue this career in racing? It sounds lots of fun, but lots of hard work and sacrifice. What is it about racing that you just love? it's tricky because it is you do sacrifice a lot and and people do say it's kind of to become a professional racing driver you you sacrifice your your teenage years and that that's just becomes work to become it and you get a party and celebrate uh, after so it, it it does come with a lot of sacrifice but I think I just love it I've loved it ever since I was I was little and obviously I got my opportunity quite late but I like I, I take every single opportunity I have and I use it to 100% and I, I take the fullest out of it I think it's it's tricky to say exactly why, but it's it's something with racing. It's weird. It's people call it the racing bug, and it's it's like an infection, and you just can't stop. You just want to keep going and just keep trying new things. You know, like oh, you know, some people be like, oh, that car's it, it's it's a tiny little Volkswagen Beetle, and you give it to a racing car <laughs> driver. They're like, I I just want to send it around a circuit for no good reason, just for a bit of fun. And I think that kind of mindset about racing is just. A lot of people take it very seriously and I do as well. When it comes to competition, don't get me wrong, I'm a very serious racer and and my goal is to win, but my goal is also to enjoy what I'm doing rather than being forcing myself to enjoy something. Absolutely. Well, that's a great attitude which will set you up no matter what's ahead. So what are some of the more unusual aspects of race prep that most of us might, might not know about? So I've had a look at some of your social media. Obviously, there's the intense gym workouts. Is there diet? Is there mental prep? What are the things that we don't see that happen before you get in that car and race around the track? Well, yeah, I, I mean, obviously everyone, it's weird because a lot of people view motorsport as not really being a sport, you know, saying, oh, you know, everyone can drive a car, but th- there's a lot more that goes behind it. Obviously with your road car, you know, you can get a, a 10 year old person to drive that car with very little physical strain. But once you get into race cars, you you lack a lot of power steering, which is, means you're steering that car, whatever crazy speeds you're going you are putting all the force in to turn that car. You've got neck workouts, obviously, because the G-force is very extreme. Depending on your car that you drive, it, it can get you know quite brutal, um, especially going up towards Formula 1, where drivers are experiencing six times their weight pushing uh, against them without like an actual force. It's just like your body pushing itself it's 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 weird to explain how no uh, you know, I think my only experience with g-force is that having watched maverick last year at the movies the movie with top the top gun star tom cruise he talked about that because he does a lot of his own stunts and there was a whole interview about that and i was like it was quite mind-blowing the sort of strain that puts on your body as well yeah it's it's weird because it's your weight of your body but being multiplied onto your body so it's it's a weird feeling but it's basically just imagine just a big weight of just pushing you, trying to push you out of the car and that comes with the centrifugal force and all that fancy stuff. But with racing, there's a lot of preparations. So obviously, you might see from Formula 1 Drive to Survive, it's a, it's a massive popular show and you kind of see what's on track and the drama and everything because the Americans, they love their drama. But what comes behind <laughs> There wouldn't is, be a is show a, without drama, surely. It, 
Exactly, exactly. So, but the things you don't see is is the preparation, and everyone thinks, oh yeah, you just got to be lifting big weights and getting a strong core and and have a big strong neck. But the biggest thing actually for driving cars is cardio. And a lot of people are like, what do you mean? You know, you you see driver you're sitting down, yeah, 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 you're sitting down and and you're just turning a wheel. But I was talking with my coach about it today, and and he was basically like. Uh, you don't use respiratory cardio, which is breathing and all of that. So because in a race car, you, you breathe very little because you're so focused. As you see them, they, you blink once or twice a lap. It's it's crazy to watch the, the onboards of Formula One drivers, especially because they're the elite athletes of, of motorsport. But it, it comes with, there's a lot behind the scene, but it's really just preparing your cardio. So that's cardiovascular cardio, which means blood flow because your heart is going crazy when you're in a car because obviously the stress and the focus you have to have and obviously your brain is a very thirsty muscle so and that's what get you, gets used most in the car and a lot of people don't really understand what you mean oh, everyone uses your brain when you just do some maths at school but it's a different <laughs> kind of focus is you're controlling a vehicle in triple did like 200 250 300 once you get into formula one at those kind of speeds you know, going through corners, there's other cars around you. So the amount of focus is, is like with that blinking, you, you know, your blinking rate drops, your your breathing slows down. So you only, because you're only focusing on your driving and your heart needs to keep up with everything. So that, that's what thing I found is you're not like pedaling on a like an exercise bike or going full attack on a rower until you're like 180 BPM and burning yourself out. It's, it's where you're working below your threshold because in a car, you're usually below your threshold, but you're doing that for sustained time. So for instance, for, for me is I'm working at a, like a level two, level three level, which is below threshold, which basically means it's 140, 150 BPM in that, in that kind of range when I could exercise at 160, 170, but that's like my limit where I'm like there, I'm like panting, I'm like sweating everywhere and and that kind of prepares me more for what a race situation is is where obviously with a car it's not as physical as playing uh, soccer or as physical as playing AFL but it's physical in its own sense in a way. Absolutely so your daily schedule must be a bit nuts because of course you are 16 and I imagine still doing schoolwork. How do you manage that with all the travel and, and I guess the sacrifice we've mentioned, but you know, being a normal teen, going out with friends, having having spare time, if you like, is there is there downtime in your schedule as well? Well, there there is a lot of downtime, but it's it's less of you do whatever you want. It's more be ready for something to happen. So, uh, for for in a day, obviously the sacrifice without being at school because I still do school, but it's all online. So I can be wherever in the world. I can just need internet connection, my computer, or even just my phone to do it. And, you know, obviously that comes with different things where I need to to schedule my own day, which is obviously tricky rather than being in a school. And, and, it, and it is a thing, obviously, you can so much self-discipline, more- I imagine, you know, because it'd be so tempting not to have that structure. Yeah. And I, I mean, sometimes you really just like, should I do my schoolwork? And you just sometimes you just want to sit back and just relax. I mean, I do enjoy doing it on my phone because then I can sit there with my dogs watching a TV show or, or, or watching some racing or whatever it is. But I think the, the big thing is you save a lot of time in your life and you don't realize how much time school takes up until you're not in school every single day. And I mean, school is great. You socialize, you have a structure there for you and you have to do the work. And I'm, you miss it a little bit. But I mean, for me, it's it's for schoolwork. It's a three three day week and it's not like three full days. It's three days where, you know, you're at home rather than the racetrack, which is perfect because for racing, you have kind of four five day weekends, especially in Europe, because you've got to fly everywhere um, unless you want to drive, you know, days and days. Obviously, Europe, you can get from, you know, Portugal to the Poland in two days, maybe in Australia, you drive for two days and you're still in the same state. 
So yeah. that, that's the that's the differences. But I think yeah, it does require self discipline for school. But and it, it is a bit challenging because obviously I'm in Europe now. All my friends are in Australia, so that has its own issues. But I mean, I much prefer doing it online because it gives me flexibility. So that when I need to go test a car on the Thursday, my uh, school's not going to say sorry, you can't do that because you've been away too much. And that happens with a lot of young drivers. Absolutely. And I imagine you would meet sort of, even though probably you're, they're your competitors, but you know, you'd meet people of your own age what, in that community, in the racing community, or is it not really like that? Is it quite an individualistic sport? It does actually differ. I usually like to be by myself when racing. Obviously, I like to talk to people and everything. And in karting, I did have a few friends, competitors, and we kind of just, we talked to each other quite a bit. But when it got, when I got into cars and it started getting quite serious in cars, it was it was a different kind of mindset you approach because everything's the stakes are a lot higher, the costs are a lot higher, everything is, is kind of more intense. And even in a small state level, yeah, it was still very intense. But I mean, the issues I have is people are usually quite a bit older than me. I mean, with Euro NASCAR, I'm the youngest driver this this season by quite a few years. I mean, I know another guy that might be joining it, but he's still 17 turning 18 um, quite early on in the season. So I, I won't turn 17 until the, the second last race or something. So a lot of the drivers, are like the average age is 25 in that kind of in region. So what, what kind of happens is, and a lot of people say this in racing as well, is, you know, for a lot of younger drivers coming over to Europe, your best friends become your mechanics and usually your mechanics are grown men. So um, <laughs> that, that's that's the kind of mechanic. Yeah, absolutely. So describe for us so far, there's probably more in the future for you, that big break moment and kind of how you felt, but also what it kind of meant for that next level of your career. Because I imagine there's been lots of moments, but was there one that particularly stood out for you? I think that I think I can think of, of one major one. I'm, I had a few like in motorsport, you have like these miniature breakouts where you like you kind of like it vaults you up to like the next step of the ladder and and if you view motorsport it's it's a ladder that is super wide at the bottom uh, it, it's super super wide like super accessible everyone gets onto this ladder and then it begins to gradually narrow until you get to the top where there's only space enough for 20 people and that's formula one and and that's that's where it why the further up you go, it gets very, very brutal and very political when it comes to things. I mean, it very quickly becomes whoever's got the deepest pockets gets to drive. So um, and that's a few issues I've had. But a breakout moment, I've, I've got to say, would be uh, my first car race. Obviously, with go-karting, I had good results in that, but I was 20 kilos too heavy. And unless I cut off both my legs, I wasn't going to make that minimum weight. So wow. I had issues. <laughs> that's yeah, a lot, I had that's issues a lot with- of difference in weight, really. Yeah, I mean, and if you look at the overall weight of it, me and the cart was 156 kilos. 20 kilos is a lot. So, I mean, it was I wasn't crazy competitive. Uh, me and a few other heavier drivers, we kind of went to the organization and said, can we have a second category? And, and it was kind of already in the works. So they tried it out at my second race and it went great. I got uh, that weekend was kind of my breakout karting weekend. I got two victories and a, a second place. And, and that was where the ball started rolling for karting. And in cars, I mean, it, the transition to cars was super smooth for me. I didn't have any issues. I kind of got into a car at like one of the most crazy cars in Australia, which is a radical, probably one of the most crazy tracks in the whole world, which is Bathurst. Um, oh, yes. Mount, Very Mount famous Panorama. track. Yep. Yeah, super famous. Um, everyone in Europe still talks about it, and it's it's in a tiny rural town in Australia, and that's probably my initiation of fire. It was really going to that track, and I mean, the good thing with that is now every everywhere else I go for until I drive a very fast car now in the future at like the Nurburgring or at Le Mans, that's kind of topped. That's the peak of 
like craziness I've driven in my career so far. I mean, I've driven at some awesome tracks, but I mean, nothing beats the mountains. So that was kind of a, a kind of, a small breakout moment. It's like, okay, he can drive a car. That's great. And obviously my parents believe in me 100% and they support me with everything. But when you're talking about racing, you need something to back it off. If I was a million miles off the pace and just slow, they'll be like, okay, come on, is, is this really worth moving to Europe and committing all this? Yeah, so in, it's in a, a whole way, family decision, isn't it, really? It's not just yeah, about you. So, yeah, I had to kind of prove myself. Obviously, they believed I could do it, and that is just as important as doing it, is having that belief. I mean, and the kind of thing I like to do is break expectations, and that's just something I've always liked to do. And with racing, it's something I found I could do consistently because coming in as very inexperienced means everyone's expectations are you low and I like that because you get more satisfaction breaking expectations so my big breakout moment was my first race and I was kind of like okay my I had a news interview at at the school uh, a few days before and they're like what would your dream debut be like and I said if I could just get a third place in the trophy race that would be my dream and for, for my first race, I won up that and got a second place in the trophy race, which, I mean, I was just so happy. And the, the biggest happiness for me for that thing is that I was competitive, that I wasn't just falling back off everyone like in karting because I was just too heavy. I was too tall for everything. So in cars, that was just the biggest relief. And I think that's why my motivation has become a lot stronger in cars. And I never really went back. I did one race back in karting just to just to finish off the kind of the cart for the year but I mean I, I as soon as I got in the car I fell in love basically and my big breakout moment was just that that first weekend it was just super positive I mean obviously a few mistakes throughout the weekend and everything but the first time ever on a race weekend I mean it was it was better than what I wished for. Absolutely and you have been selected for a driver's spot in the Euro NASCAR season for 2023 and that followed a recruitment day in France in February. Tell us about that experience what was that like? Yeah, so what it basically was, obviously Euro NASCAR is an extremely popular series here in Europe and there are a lot of drivers. I think last year there was 70 something, so a crazy amount between two different categories. So obviously it's a very competitive championship to get into because it's an international grade championship. So we, we kind of got in contact and we kind of sent the CV and everything through to see how, you know, if it was a possibility to drive. And I just got my license because you had to be 16 to get this international C license. And I, I got it on my birthday because we got an exemption from Motorsport Australia to get it quickly because usually you have to get five races done. And we'd only done three, I think, before my birthday. But they gave me an exemption because of my track record and, and what I'd achieved so far. So that that was step one of getting into it and and then we kind of organized a day with one of the teams that we happen to be driving for now and we basically just we we went there did a test in the UNESCO at the actual race weekend uh during something called the club challenge which is basically an extra practice day we we did quite a few laps i wasn't pushing it or anything i was really just feeling out the car it was a, a circuit called zolder which is you know one of the most renowned tracks in the world but it's a scary track it's it's a tiny little track for, and especially for the nascars it it makes that it exaggerates that quite a lot so i was just taking it easy just you know uh, making my way around the track and I, I love the cars they're awesome it's you know the first time i had a real proper engine that wasn't a tiny little little baby engine let's say like a big v8 engine and I just loved it from the from the start, and and basically then we started talking to the CEO of um, Euronesca, Jerome, and he was just super helpful. He helped us progress through everything and get get in contact with all the different teams. And then we went to the recruitment day in Fontenay, in in the south of France, and it was basically just 
you go there just to get like a, a winter a shake up, just to get get ready for the season that's coming up, and that's usually for drivers that are looking to enter the season or, or already set on entering the season. But it, it was there was I think eight drivers there. We shared three different cars. I was sharing a car with a guy that had already raced in Euronez car two of the races before, and it was a super positive day. I think uh, in the morning I was about half a second slower than the fastest guy. Nick, who, who's a super awesome driver. He, he Is that a in- lot? Like, I mean, half a second doesn't sound like a lot. But, you know, I know, it's, for example, in swimming, it, it's a millisecond in races, for example, you know, at the Olympic level. Is that is that considered a lot or not a lot, just for, for us to understand? Um, yeah. I mean, it depends on circuit length. So this circuit was quite short. So half a second, it, like with those cars, it maybe isn't considered a lot. But for me, I was like, I want to be faster. So for me, I was like, okay, how can I improve this throughout the day? And um, a thing that a lot of people also, this is something that goes more in depth into racing is uh, track uh, degradation and track improvement throughout a day. Um, and a lot of people just think you just go into a track and it's the exact same every time, but but it, it, it isn't. Um, and especially with big, heavy cars like a NASCAR, track and tire temperature have a massive role to play in lap time. So in the morning, it was it was quite a cold day. I think it was 10, 10 degrees in the morning. Obviously, this is South France, so this is, usually it's quite warm there, but it, it's, a, it's a cold day. It was winter so obviously everything's a bit colder so in the morning the track was super fast because with your NASCAR we have overheating problems in the tires because heavy car hot track doesn't have a good mixture for the tires so the morning was the fastest session so I think he he did a 108.5 and I did a 1090 um, for the lap time so half a second it, it's not massive but it, it's still quite reasonable it's, on a, it's track significant by the sounds of it in terms of what you're what you're trying yeah. to achieve absolutely yeah so yeah, so it was as, like a kind of significant gap, let's say, for for the track length. But that was my first time back in a car really pushing it. And with those cars, they're super tricky to drive. You've got special things to drive. And I was used to cars that were a third of the weight or half of the weight around there. Like the last car I drove before the Euronesco was a GB3, which weighed 500 kilos and with full aero f3 car so it was a big it was just a shake-up to really get me back into a heavy car feeling and so with that it, it was a very positive day because by the end of the day i was a second faster and a, a lap time around that a second is always quite a lot because i just managed to adjust to the car much better when it got hot in the afternoon and the track began to degrade so it was positive overall so it we kind of overlapped halfway through the day and he began to have tire issues and 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 all that but I mean everyone does in those cars I had it in the morning he had it in the afternoon we kind yeah, of just absolutely and, it and, sounds like you have to really think on your feet and, and that's probably part of what makes you good at what you do because you're able to you know think quickly and being young probably helps with that as well I'd like to change tack a little bit you've got a relatively new podcast path to podium which is fabulous and you're interviewing a whole range of successful drivers about their experience which must be great intel for you and probably very inspirational too why did you decide to do a, do a podcast it sounds like something that you know, you wouldn't have a lot of time to do. So what was the motivation behind that? Yeah, well, I mean, I do have a lot of time. And that's the thing that my mum kind of pointed out is like, let's do something with this time because I'm at home a lot. I don't go to a school. So the travel times and everything. So, you know, an hour a day for me is very easy. Even at a race weekend, you know, I can split in an hour a day after or before the day. So we kind of thought, why not make a podcast that can generate income later on, but also to just do something. So I'm not just sitting there just on my phone the whole day. And uh, it was kind of, it was kind of forethinking is just be like, go do something and maybe it, it can make in money because the biggest thing with racing is money. If, if you don't have money, then you don't race. So yes, it's a very expensive sport. It's sort of, you know, elite really, isn't it? For lots of people, it would be out of reach. 
yeah, it's it's where the entry level is having money. With other sports, the entry level is just going somewhere. Like with 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 for racing, just imagine you said to someone every time you went to a soccer field to practice for, uh, let's say an hour and a half, you get at, at the practice field, you have to pay like six thousand dollars. They'll be like, yeah. no thanks. So that's, <laughs> exactly. that's the kind of thing is it, it's very difficult to get time on track. So the podcast was more to build up a kind of base. So I had a lot of contacts already and it's something for me to do. It's proactive. And then I'm getting kind of free media training out of it. I'm learning to speak. I'm learning to communicate with people. I'm learning to also run a podcast. Obviously, the editing side, my mom helps me with and she does a majority of it because of her experience in uh, media and everything. But I've kind of used that to my advantage. And she said, you know, that's something that she can help me with. It's something for her to also work on editing wise so she can get some editing in and, and all that stuff to work on as well. And it's kind of just I can do the speaking. Uh, I can make all the content. I can get all the people onto the podcast. And then she helps me in the background because I don't have experience in that. I never really went full into into editing or anything like that. But she's got years and years of experience from filmmaking and everything. So it was kind of just everything kind of lined up. It's, it was it was a no-brainer in a way. Great. So tell us about the risk appetite or aptitude you need to be a successful racing car driver in your experience. Because for most of us, it does sound a bit scary. And, and obviously, I know your mum as well. It's like she must every time sometimes not even want to watch you going around that track. You're still, you're still her little boy in some ways. So how do you navigate, I guess, that sort of the risks of the sport, but also what sort of risk appetite do you think you need to even want to do it? I think actually, it is kind of funny to say is you uh, a cautious person, it, well, not overly cautious, but a cautious minded person, someone that thinks about the risks is a much better racing driver than someone that's a, like a daredevil. And and that's because race, re, obviously th- everyone thinks it's like throwing a car on a truck, m- like ma- muscling around the track and everything. But being smooth is smooth is fast. It's sometimes not always. And the thing is, everyone in karting says, oh, smooth is fast. But a lot of the time it isn't, especially in karting. But in a race car, you don't want to be fighting the car because then you're doing something wrong. If, if the car doesn't want to do what you're telling it, then it doesn't it's not going to do that in a way. It's it's kind of like it's a dance between a driver and a car and a lot of people don't understand it and it takes a lot of skill to kind of master this dance because if you do it wrong, that's when you see spins, crashes and all these kind of things. Yeah, I mean, everyone's worst nightmare fr- really. <laughs> no one yeah, wants to see that. Yeah, and it happens a lot, especially at lower levels because – Everyone wants to be the next Formula One champion, so they just go out on track. And uh, there's two different drivers. Let's, let's start with this. There's a blue driver and there's a red driver. A blue driver will work up to the limit. So everyone talks about the limit. The limit is basically the limit of the grip. How fast can the car go around a round a lap? And a blue driver will work up to the, this limit, and a red driver will go out and find the limit. And that's the difference. And uh, what they'll do is they'll find the limit, but go too far. They'll do 103% and they'll spin. So they'll, they'll bring it back down to 95% and do 101% and, you know, slide and have a drift through a corner. So they'll bring it down to 94%, even lower than before, and then go find 100%. So it's a lot of risk attributed with that driving, but you do find the limit a lot quicker. With a blue driver, there'll be like uh, 50%, 70%, 85, 90, 91, 92, and then they'll begin. So by the end of the session, they're very fast. And I'm a mix between both where I, I aggressively, I'm an aggressive blue driver because I will not say that I'm just a regular blue driver and my parents probably won't agree, will agree that I'm not a blue <laughs> driver. I'll put you in that pigeonhole. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I like to find the limit, but in a safe way, because I know that you go off track, there's a big chance you're going to break something. And in cars, it's it's not cheap. So um, there is obviously a risk appetite, 
attached with racing because you need to not be scared. It's more comfortability with the car. Obviously, every time you have a slide through a corner and you're going 250, you're going to be scared, but you need to have you know confidence that your car, you know what your car is going to do. And I mean, I would say, yeah, a, a, a cautious minded person. So I'm a lot more cautious minded. So you think about the risks rather than just doing the risks is a yeah, lot better for race car less driving. impulsive than maybe we would suspect. And of course, key part of you building up your profile and potentially, I guess, wanting getting great sponsors and all of that, in addition to your talent, is having a sort of a brand, which, you know, you've got a website, you've got social media presence, you're starting to get some media coverage as well. How have you navigated that? Is that something which you've been able to think about or are you just doing it and seeing what happens? We've kind of thought about it. And the thing is with driving, every like obviously with the politics of everything, you've probably picked the most political sport there will ever be. I mean, there will like like this makes the mafia look like a like a toddler's playground. I mean, racing <laughs> even is, soccer. Is, I don't know. FIFA's pretty dodgy. I'm going to say that, even though my kids play yeah. soccer, it's it's pretty corrupt. <laughs> yeah, it's it's less corruption, or it, it, there's a lot of corruption in racing. Let's say it's it's less. I don't know the exact way to frame it, but it's it's less dodgy. Racing is it's it's a clean sport. You know, you don't have any drugs, you don't have any alcohol, because no, why would anyone want to put themselves in a in a, a situation where they're putting themselves in danger? But it's it's much more where where money silences people, like paying off someone to let someone go on track and and all that kind of stuff i mean it's very very rare i mean racing is very good with getting rid of corruption getting rid of all these issues because in the end of the day racing's dangerous and a lot of the time the people that get paid off are the ones that get blamed if something goes wrong so no one wants to be in, in a way it's selfish for everyone but no one wants to be the blame for the the issue so with racing, it's it's better, but in karting, it's quite bad, and that's why I didn't enjoy karting as much. I mean, I got results out of it, and that's kind of what we all we needed to say. Yes, he can progress to cars. So, I mean, racing it, it's it's tricky to say exactly what the uh, politics are behind it, but it's 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 a whole big story. But absolutely, no, there's probably lots of nuance in that. So, so far, what sort of is the best advice that you've been given, and why? It, it wasn't from one of my coaches, but just a guy at the karting track. I remember because. It was just after my second race and I was I was still driving nervously. I mean, I had I I'd got a pretty good result. I think I finished fourth, but I was I could have finished second. My pace was really good, but the biggest issue I had was I just kept looking around and looking back, making sure no one was there. And one of the guys just took me aside and said, Mate, your pace is incredible. You're gonna win a race this next race or the next weekend you're racing. You just need to focus on your own race. And I just took it so well. I'm like Okay, I went out and then I finished second in that race. So it, it was just some just some some guy telling me to just focus on my own race and that kind of just switched my whole attitude towards racing and that's where everything kind of progressed better. I mean, when I first started race karting, I was like, oh God, this is going to take so long to get used to. But that guy kind of just sped up probably a, a year and a half of, of working towards yeah, something. Yeah, sometimes it's just those moments, isn't it, where you just go, I'm going to take this advice and run with it. So if we spoke again in a year's time, Max, what would be your number one goal to have achieved and why? I think to to have won EuroNASCAR, the EuroNASCAR championship, I'm, I'm kind of looking at it as maybe a one-year thing, maybe a two-year thing because there was two stages to the championship. But it, it's it's NASCAR is kind of a way for me to, to leapfrog into professional driving and to accumulate money to continue my career. I mean, we, we have another thing on the side. It's not confirmed yet, but ideally to win that as well. But yeah, by the end of the year, I think it's to, to 
definitely win Euro Nazca too. I mean, obviously that takes work and a lot of effort, but I believe that I, I, I can do it with, with the stuff that I've got now. I've, I'm confident going into the season that I'll have the abilities to do so. Final takeaway message for us on the politics of racing. It's it's tricky to to put pin everything down, but it, it's it's a, it's a sport where if you find yourself on the wrong side, if we're looking on the on not legally but on the on the moral side, if you find us bad on the bad side of the morals, you usually don't do anything about it because it benefits you. And with racing, that's an issue that is systemic from Formula One to go-karting even to lawnmower racing it's it's where often the rich guys can pay off something or pay to improve something or pay to it's money is basically the politics of racing whoever has the deepest pockets usually wins and that no matter how talented you are you can't beat money Absolutely. Well, I think it's been a fascinating conversation and I'm sure all the listeners have learned something about racing, which they didn't know before this 30 minutes. So if you do want to find out more about Max, there will be some details on the show notes. Until next time, take care. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the politics of everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon. 